come on over here to the side. Here's our opportunity. Okay, thank you for our helpers. Who are we trying to get here, Kathy? We got it. Okay. That's great. Well, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the gift of your Son, Emmanuel, God with us. Father, we're so thankful that you're with us. We thank you for reading scripture that when two or three are gathered in your name, that you are there. And your presence is always with us. For that, we give you great praise. Help us as we look at the theme of this Sunday of hope, a theme that is so significant to us as Christians, and a theme that we would want the world to know by finding Jesus, their Messiah, their King, their Emmanuel. Be with us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This morning we're going to be looking at the theme of dealing with hope. It's our first week of thing, and it's an important one. As I mentioned in prayer, this is an important thing for us because it had such an thing important role in the life of the church over the centuries, and particularly for us today. And it's interesting, you know, if I ask you a question, like let's say, what's the question? Um, let me do it this way. Define for me what hope is. Now, all of us would come up with something, but the question, what would that something be? He said, if I had gave you a piece of paper and a pen and said, you've got five minutes to write, what does hope mean? How would you define hope? it'd be pretty interesting to see some of the ways people would define it. We all know what it is, we all know kind of what it is, we've all experienced it, but we're not sure, how would I define it? Well, here's always the easy way to do it. Let's see what the dictionary said, and here's what it says. What, how do you define hope? And the one I'm using is get this, I like it. To expect with confidence. That's a good one for Christians. We have a life where we believe that God has got a plan for us, and we're looking to the future. The second one that Merriam-Webster had was the one there. It said, it's a desire accompanied by expectation of or belief in fulfillment. It adds a little bit to it. In other words, we not only have hope, we know that we're looking for something in the future, but it has something good that's coming up in that that we want to experience. That's probably as good as we get from probably from a non-Christian who wrote that. Maybe they did. How do I know? But the point is, it's a good way of saying this, and I think that's important with hope that's maybe distinctive from the rest of the world. And this is important. As you know, the 20th century, where many people thought was going to be just a great century of how wonderful it would be and there'd be peace on Earth, and we ended up with World War I, World War II, and many other things, and many tragedies. But what came out of that was a lot of despair. It came to a lot of people who believe that I don't believe there is a God anymore. There's many people who gave up hope people who thought we were going to bring a new world, a new kind of world into here through, through the war, and things are going to be different, things are going to be better, and yet we find out how tough it can be. I was in a meeting of our denomination, the Evangelical Free Church, and they were having a meeting of pastors in our area. And they were talking, we met a young guy who's there who's been living in just south of Amsterdam. And he was saying how sad it was. There's these beautiful cathedrals all around him. And he said, you can go into any one of them, and there's nobody there except for the tourists. And they said, in the area where they were working, he said the percentage of people who actively went to a church, any church, was 2% of the population. Here were these great cathedrals, these massive cathedrals that went up to the heights of reminding them of the greatness of God and his power. 
people are like, I don't believe it. It's not important. And the sad part is so many are so hopeless. And he showed us a picture of this beautiful mall. It's a very nice, nicely done mall. I said, see this? See all these things? This is made, they made this for the prostitutes. So everyone had their own place along the plaza. And they don't think twice about that. There's nothing about life that's significant other than what you might want to enjoy. And you just gotta go on. And he said, I don't he said, I don't know what's gonna happen to Europe. Other than the fact that maybe the Muslims will control it within a certain amount of time. But he said, imagine that this was the place where Martin Luther, Calvin, Zwingli, all these great reformers, and now we have Western Europe, which is becoming more and more desolate. And the sad part is so many people have given up hope. People like you read maybe in college, like Sartre, Camus, Kierkegaard, people like that, there was so much of a sense of loss, of no hope. And we're seeing that today in America as well. But what we have in this passage this morning is reminding us the fact there is hope because we have a great Savior. What we have this morning, I wanted to look at a passage of Scripture, and I'm looking at the book of 1 Peter, and I was looking through it, and it kind of stuck out to me that here in 1 Peter, there were five different times, it's not a big book, but just five different times where the word hope came prominent in the story. Now, two of them were not as important as the other. Not, I'm not trying to say part of God's not as important, but I mean, they kind of overlapped each other, so that counted as one. And the other one probably was not one that I wanted to do, so I said, I'll just do three of them. Just real short, just want to remind you, here's three passages that dealt with the, the, life, the idea of hope and how that's significant for us. And so there's five passages, we're gonna look at three. In the passage number one, it says 1 Peter, I think this was chapter, chapter one, verse 13, if you wanna to turn to it, but I'll have it in the passage for you. The Apostle Paul, excuse me, the Apostle Peter is the one we're talking about at this point. Just to give you a little context, Peter is in prison in Rome. Things are not good for him, and life is bad. And if you notice, who is the person in charge right now? It is Nero, who's killing Christians, who's forcing people to give up their children out of their faith for Christ, who's burning some of these people as the torches for his parties out in the backyard. And what we have is in the midst of this context of such incredible, barbaric kind of life for these people, God was still at work. And so there, it's probably about 60 AD, 62 AD that this was taking place. The church was young. The church was struggling. People were dying. People were hiding. And the question is, what's God doing for us? Where is God? How can we have hope in the midst of such a broken world? And so what we have here in the beginning starts this way. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the temporary residents of the dispersion in the province of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. In other words, southern Turkey. Yeah, the area where Pat lived in for a while. Pat, were you on the east, on the coast, west coast, or? Is that right? Well, this is the area where the Apostle Paul was, well, excuse me, where Peter was sending out this letter. And he sent it out because most of these people, not all of them, most of them were not Jews. These were people who were Jewish, who were kind of people who were non-Jewish, and they were Gentiles. 
And they had not experienced persecution, but now they were getting it because they were identified with the same kind of practices of the Jewish people. And so they're struggling. And Peter wants to make sure that they know what's going on. And so the major theme that comes out of this one in this book, in 1 Peter, one of the major ones, at least, is suffering. It's not something that we look for. It happens. Uh, you know, we, don't, we can't decide what we don't know when we can pick our struggles. But suffering was a huge thing for them back then. The second one, the minor theme, is hope. And I'm so glad that we're not just left with suffering. Because if the major theme is suffering, the minor one is hope. And Peter wants to make it very clear. Even in the midst of sorrow and pain, not only is God with us, but he can give us hope in the midst of the worst circumstances. And so what we have in this one here in number one is this idea of wanting to know, seeing God at work, even having hope, when many times it seemed like there's no hope to be found. Another passage right here that goes right with this, chapter 1, verse 3. Praise be to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now notice this next phrase. According to his grace and mercy, he's given us a new birth. Where do we hear that phrase before? I, Gospel of John, we met a guy who said, how can I be born again? Go back into my mother's womb, the new birth. He said he's given us a new birth, notice this phrase, into a living hope. Which if you think of it, it's kind of a funny phrase. How can hope, which is not something you can hold in your hands or manipulate with, but it is a living hope. I guess the opposite would be a dead hope, which so many people had only a dead hope, a hope that did not work for them. But his point is, you have been brought into a new birth, into a living hope. It's interesting. It's like animating it. This hope that God has given you, even in the midst of your terrible suffering that you're going through, you can still have hope because it's a living hope. And it's not only that, it's a living hope because it's alive. It's saying it's through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And it's interesting how often Peter comes back to the resurrection. We'll get to that in just a moment. But he wants us to make it clear that hope is still there. And that God is going to make sure that his people in the midst of suffering will continue to experience his hope. R.C. Sproul had a nice quote that I liked when he talked about this kind of hope. He said in the Bible... Hope is not uncertainty or wishful thinking, but notice this, but a confident expectation of future blessing based on fact and promises. I like that quote. Okay, notice what he's saying. Hope is not an uncertainty. You know, we use that over our time. Oh, you know, I think hope it doesn't rain. Well, it could, it may not. But that's very distinct from Christian faith. Christian faith is looking to the future. It's looking to what God is going to do, how God is going to work in our lives. And then he said a confident expectation. That's another main part of Christian hope. There's an expectation that God is one who keeps his promises. And he noticed that phrase he said, blessings based on facts and promises. He says, look, you don't believe me? Look what God did for Israel at the Red Sea. Look what God did when he brought them out of there and he brought them into the new land that he had for them in Canaan. And you could go on and on of the faithfulness of God. And it's the faithfulness of God in his acts and his facts of what he's done that gives us and grows our hope. And so we have our future blessing based upon facts and promises. So we have something that are already happened. They're facts on the ground because God made a promise and he kept it. But now with hope, we're looking to the future. 
He has not yet fulfilled that promise. But on the basis of what we've known in the past, we can have a great hope, a living hope, because we know that the one who's been faithful all the way through will be faithful with us now. And so I like this quote. So look, if you would, this next one. Passage chapter number, the number two, the second one that we'll look at very quickly. This is 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. And notice this phrase. He said, therefore, he's been talking about the suffering they went through and how they're going to respond. He said, therefore, with your minds ready for action, be serious and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, that's a mouthful. But let's take it apart just a little bit. Notice what he said. With your minds ready for action, be serious. We come back to it. Many of you know Matthew Henry. He's a famous guy from the 18th century, I guess it is. A powerful writer. And here's one thing, the way he described it, which is the way, kind of old English. Gird up the loins of your mind. Has anybody girded up the loins of your mind recently today? I doubt it. But it is an idea because most people in that day, in Jesus' day, they had like a long, not a skirt, but you know, something the road went down. But if you go to run, you don't want to have to run like this. So you pull up your, whatever you call it, your skirt, so to speak, and you can tie it, put, bunch it up within your robe. And therefore, you've got freedom to work and freedom to run. And so he's using that metaphor, and he's using the old English of it. Gird up the loins of your mind. It's like, we're not expecting you to go running with your robe, but the point is, what you're doing with your running is what you need to do with your mind. And thinking about what God is doing, gird up the loins of your mind. And then he said, I like this phrase, you've got a journey to go, uh, to go, a race to run, a warfare to accomplish, and a great work to do. It's a great verse saying, are you preparing yourself, what God wants to do, to prepare you to have an impact on others? In a world of people who have no hope, you've got the answer, not you personally, the answer you've gotten from Christ, of what God can do for you and the difference he can make in your life. And he says, okay, you've got a journey to go. You've got a race to run. You've got warfare to accomplish and a great work to do. And so to go back to that passage again, notice what it said, therefore with your minds ready for action, be serious and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought. Notice that phrase, completely. I don't know if it doesn't have it, but there it is. Completely on the grace to be brought for you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What's interesting here, the word grace is being used in a different way than we normally use it. We could, we just, we'd sing a song, your grace is enough, da-da-da. Okay, we talk about the grace that God gives. The grace, saved by grace. We know that idea of what it means, grace. Here he's using grace in a slightly different sense. So set your hope completely on the grace. Here he's talking about not just getting, about getting saved. He's talking about grace in the sense of the reward that God is preparing for you. Yes, you're struggling. Yes, things are hard. But the point is he's saying God has got his grace. That is, he's got his, what he's given to you. He said completely on the grace to be brought to you. When? At the revelation of Jesus Christ. The revelation the idea of the end times when Jesus Christ comes in power and glory and establishes kingdom. And so here you've got a, a thing talking about hope that's now making the point saying, do you realize we have hope because one day God is going to fulfill those promises. That promise that God is going to come, Christ is going to come, not as a, Latin, on a, on a, and a lamb to be sacrificed, 
but as King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and he'll bring justice to a world that's experienced such sorrow. And so it's a beautiful verse. Set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at when? The revelation of Jesus Christ. That's when he will reward us. And it sounds like in heaven there's more of that coming up as well. Matthew Henry, we already looked at that one real quick. The verb that they use here is very interesting. Set your hope fully. That's a Greek word, elpizo. I could have asked David to read it for me, but we won't. Um, it's, uh, there's several words that have to do with hope. This is one of the most common, but it's also a very strong word. Elpizo, they kind of describe it. Confident expectation. That sense of what this is is strong, like you can count on it. And so it says, set your hope fully on what God is going to do. Set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Christ Jesus. And it's a confident hope of a future reward. Number three, 1 Peter chapter 1, 18-21. This is asking the question, in light of all what we know about hope and what we know about our, our suffering and all the hurt that people, the Christians are experiencing, how then shall we live? How do we live in a world where they're killing us? Where they're tearing children away from their parents? How do we live in a world where we're looking for hope when we see devastation all around us? And this passage is so beautiful. Look with me if you would what it says. He's saying, tell them about, you really where you know where you came from? Remember what you, where you were at? For you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life. Inherited from the fathers, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without defect or blemish. He, Christ, was destined for the foundation of the world, but was revealed at the end of the time for you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and your Hope are in God. In the midst of the sorrow, there can still be hope. The hope that God gives us as we recognize what he has done for us. During suffering, it wasn't just in Nero's time. There's suffering today. You may have seen this just recently in the last couple of weeks. In Iran, they caught four Iranian Christian pastors. Right away, you know they're in trouble because they're Christians in a very Muslim world. But they caught them having communion wine at the Lord's table. And so right now, what they've said is they're going to be punished. Each of them is going to get 80 lashes on their back for the crime of having the Lord's Supper. When was the last time you thought you might get beaten because you went to the Lord's Supper? Zilch. Nada. Nothing. We haven't experienced that in America. It doesn't mean we won't. Many people think our children or grandchildren will. But the point here, here is there's people that are willing to say, I will stand faithful to what Christ has taught me. I'm a believer. I'm not giving up. I would not want to be beat 80 times and come back. Now, it hasn't gone through. It has to go through another layer. But if it happens, they're going to get 80 lashes each of the four guys for the crime of having the Lord's Supper together. We have been so blessed in this country, we forget what it's like to live in fear. And these people, they realize it's going to cost us something. I saw a video just a while ago. They have 100 and 
50 Iranians who crossed over into the border so they could get baptized. These are Muslim believers who become baptized, who now are going back to their towns, and they're starting churches, and, the, and things are growing. God is at work in the midst of great suffering. And here we sit in the great, beautiful places that God has given us, and we forget that it wasn't just in Euro's time. It's happening now in Iran, in the Muslim world, in parts of Asia. And the question is, in the midst of this, do you still have hope? It's a struggle. Martyrdom is what Jesus said. If they, if they killed me, why do you think they would not kill you? We should never look for it. We know that one of the church fathers, Origen, he was so one, he wanted to make sure he was a martyr that he uh, wanted to go run naked. He wanted, my mother took his clothes away so he wouldn't run, so he ran naked. The point is, you don't look for martyrdom or suffering. But when it comes, Will you be able to find out in the midst of your sorrow? Because we believe what God has done for us. The core is what we do every Sunday when we come to this table. Remember how I talked about the fact that we gather together. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. That's at the core. For Christians, at the very core is an empty tomb and a risen Christ. And the point was for these Christians, okay, if Jesus become alive again, don't you think maybe he could do that with you? Do you not think that maybe God could resurrect you just the way he did Christ? If you're joined with Christ, you're in union with Christ, it's a metaphor that Paul loves so much. If you're with him, united with him, connected with him, and he died and you went down in the grave and he came up to life, can he not do that with you? Yes, the Romans may kill you. Yes, so-and-so in this world may kill you. The point is, but if you are connected to Christ, you don't only not have to live in fear, but you can live in hope. That changes our perspective on our world, how we treat people, how we reach out to people, because we're a people of hope. Here's a quote that I liked. Um, forget her name. Then Johnny, Johnny Erickson. He was talking about the fact that we come at the points of life where all we can see is a little glimpse of that hope, but we know it's there. Here's where he said, the best we can hope for in this life is a not whole peak at the shining realities ahead. Yet a glimpse is enough. It's enough to convince our hearts that whatever suffering and sorrows currently assail us aren't worthy of comparison to that which waits over the horizon. Beautiful quote. I wish I could have written that myself, but I didn't. But it's a good quote. We can have hope in the midst of a broken heart because we have a great Savior. Lord, we thank you for this passage that we looked at. Thank you for First Peter. Thank you for Peter, his life, and the impact that he had upon our world. Mm -hmm. And we thank you, Father, that we have this privilege every time we come, every Sunday, to be reminded again of the body and the blood Glad to give a great Savior who was willing to give his life for us. We ask that you be with us now.